Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulner podcast. This week, we have another entertainer, another legend of our fantastic football club. It is Warren Barton. Sam, you've had the pleasure to interview Warren Barton over lockdown, and he was fantastic value for money, wasn't he? I want Warren Barton to be my mate. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he is the nicest guy. And the passion, as you will hear, that that guy still has for Newcastle United is brilliant. He's so generous with his time. He's just a top, top bloke. You hadn't, um, you hadn't interviewed him before, Johnny. What, did, uh, did you have any preconceptions of him? Or were you, uh, were you even nervous to uh, talk to him? Um, I have to be honest, I don't get nervous anymore. Because you get used oh, to it. Oh, big time. No, not, not a case of big time. I, I, especially when it's over, like obviously a telephone conversation or via Skype or however we do it. I don't get as nervous. I think it'd be more nervous if it was face to face because you can see what their reaction is more or less instantly. If there's the slightest, the slightest out by a second, for example, then you can't really tell. Um, but I thought he was very confident when I seen the interview with yourself uh, on Newcastle Fans TV. And I thought it was a very fast-flowing interview. So you want to kind of almost continue that when you look at the likes of Lee Clark and how he did the interview with us as well. So um, it was, I thought it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And the, the one thing I kind of got more than anything, Sam, was his passion for the football club and the fact that even though he's not from the area, even though he hasn't played for Newcastle for what, 2002, was when he left, so nearly 20 years ago when he left the football club, that passion, that fire in the belly about Newcastle is still there. Yeah, he, he follows the team's progress. He has an opinion on pretty much everything to do with black and white. And he, he, I get the kind of sense, there's undertones that he wants to be involved now. I know he's a pundit in America and whatnot, but I think he, he, he always said, like even in the first interview, he was like, well, I knew Dennis Wise. Why isn't he coming to ask me about things? Why, why you know, he... He, he just loves it. He, he's one of them ones from that's not from the city of Newcastle, but he just gets it, just gets it. So, see, you don't have to be from an NE postcode, Johnny, to uh, to understand the area and, and, and get it. It wasn't me who said that, but um, we'll leave that one for another podcast, shall we say. Um, in regards to Warren Barton, the contrasts of the Rude Hullet era and the Savoy Robson era, um, were fascinating. I think the stories that he mentioned in regards to Rude and Sir Bobby, um, two different types of managers, two different two different types of methods, both to an extent worked. If you look at Rude Hull in the FA Cup final, obviously Warren Barton. But that FA Cup run was like the easiest run that year. It's such an easy. You go back and have a look that year. It was such an easy FA Cup run to the final. You'll never be that lucky again. And we got put in well in our place in that final from the the treble winning Man United team. I but I I really hated Rude Hullet. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I absolutely hated Rude Hullet. But Warren Barton did play in that FA Cup final, Sam. It was a year before, wasn't it? You're referring to my Keith Gillespie faux pas, which is mentioned at every <laughs> available opportunity where Warren Barton played instead of Keith Gillespie. If you uh, a reg- regular NFTV viewers will uh, will know what we're referring to. Um, when I mistakenly, when I was interviewing Keith Gillespie, I mistakenly told him he played in the FA Cup final when he was injured, and he said it was the lowest point of his career. Cheers. It's the lowest point of your career right now, is it? <laughs> no, no. It was uh, when I'd finished speaking to Keith and I just screamed at myself in the mirror for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but this, again, some fantastic stories with Savoy Robson. The, when he first came to Newcastle under Kevin Keegan, there was a lot of interest in Warren Barton, which was quite fascinating. He could have almost joined Arsenal. Um, he was an Arsenal fan as a kid. Spoiler alert. Exactly. So there we go. We'd like to give you little insights, shall we say, uh, for our podcast. But we have to give a big thank you to BF52. If you want any of your IPAs, any stouts, any just cans of lager, uh, BF52 is the place. You can get eight cans of whatever you fancy, really, for five ninety five. Sam's had plenty. I've had plenty. I think Sam's can I tell had you what my favourite thing is about BF52? Come on, then. So 
I'm currently waiting for my fifth month subscription now. We should be here tomorrow. And I've took up the option of adding two extra beers for free for one month. And then you can revert back to the normal eight cans. But you build um, loyalty points as well, bonus points, taster points. And then you can spend it in their shop and accumulate so many points. Boom, free beer. Who doesn't like free beer? um, Who doesn't like free beer? Do you know anyone that's teetotal? Because they probably don't. <laughs> well, they'll like beer 52 by the end of it anyway. Um, more important is our last episode of the first series. We'll be back with the second series very, very shortly. There will be loads of new guests, new personalities is what we're kind of looking forward to in series two. Yeah, anyone, anyone we can book. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, any good ideas. If you've got any ideas yourself, leave us a review in the, uh, on Spotify or on, on Apple and we'll look at them and we'll see what we can do. We always try and see if we can do that little bit extra, a little bit more, because if we can, it means that we get to interview even better people or even better guests than we ever would have believed of. So yeah, one part is the last episode of series one. And Sam, a great way to end the first series. Yeah, we were we were going to end it after Lee Clark, but then when Warren said he'd come on and do whatever, we just had to fit it in as soon as possible. So uh, yeah, it was a great way to finish series one, and I can't wait to crack on with series two now. Good. Yeah, for sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the final episode of series one, and it is with the Mister Warren Barton. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood and Mulner show. My name is Jonathan Green. You've got Sam Mulner to probably your left on your screen, but to my right. And it's a big, big one to the former Newcastle fullback right wing. We've just had a little chat about the FA Cup final that uh, Sam loves talking about. <laughs> it is, of course, Three more seconds and more in the show. <laughs> okay, lovely to be here as well. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Warren, just for everybody that doesn't know, you're actually facing the States now, obviously, for people that watched the takeover video that you did with Sam, but how's it been in the States? Are you still doing uh, work with Fox as well? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We've still got the Fox, but unfortunately, the studios are, are locked down at the moment. Uh, in California, we started off being very conservative in the first few weeks. Thought we had it under control, but this virus has, has found a way now to really, again, shut down California, uh, particularly in the Los Angeles and Orange County area. I'm lucky where I am, Southern California. We, we've got the beach, we've got the weather. Um, so life's not so bad. I'm doing a little bit of coaching with my son, my youngest son, so we can get outside. But it's, um, it, it's, it's frustrating and it's a bit scary because of how, you know, how many cases each day that are popping up and deaths across the United States. But what's, you know, we've been lucky enough, the Premier League's been on, Bundesliga's been on, and now the Champions League, Europa. So we're able to keep up. And um, you know, it's been a real challenging year, to say the least, um, the way it started. And obviously, for Newcastle, Newcastle fans, it's been a frustrating one as well um, with the takeover. But yeah, I'm, I'm here. Uh, the sun's out. I'm able to get exercise, which is a, a good thing. So I can I'm feel myself lucky in, in one respect. Yeah, 100%. Again, our thoughts are to everybody that's been dealing with this dreadful virus. Um, Sam, this is a, a man that you've had the pleasure to chat with um, not not too long ago. Obviously, probably more exciting times when there was a potential takeover yeah. going along for us. Brilliant to have Warren on, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. To, as soon as we finished, Warren, because um, last time Warren was on, we just spoke about the takeover and exciting times coming up and Pochettino taking over and what players were going to buy, this, that and the other. Well, that's gone now. So uh, it's nice to uh, have the chance to kind of now reminisce about the good old days. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Warren, let's start. Obviously, you're at Wimbledon and then the bid gets put on the table. £4 million and the most expensive defender coming to Newcastle. Now, first things first, I have to ask before the move to Newcastle, obviously a former Newcastle manager you worked under was Joe Kinnear. What was he like? Joe, for Wimbledon, he was ideal. You know, it suited his personality, it, it suited his um, humour um, and the way he run a football club. He would get the best out of young, hungry players uh, without any egos, a little bit of bullying, which was the old school way and the Wimbledon way of that togetherness. He was perfect for that that team uh, and had played like, you know, Terry Phelan, Keith Curl, John Scowers, myself, uh, that have all gone on and played for, for bigger clubs. Um, and a lot of it was down to Joe and a guy called Terry Burton, who's the assistant coach. Uh, 
Newcastle was totally different for Joe. I was a bit surprised he didn't pick up the phone and just speak to me about the club. Um, but Joe being Joe, probably thought he knew best. Um, but he was always good to me. Um, I knew when he was lying because he'd go like that with his hands. So I knew straight away. <laughs> when I'd see it in press conferences and he'd talk to players, and he'd go, uh, me and the Wimbledon boys was, would chuckle on WhatsApp and say, here he goes again, the gaffer. He's going to come out with another story. Um, but he was great for me. But Wimbledon for him, as I said, I was surprised he didn't just pick up the phone and just ask. But, you know, for, for me, it was good. But for Wimbledon, it, it, it wasn't a, a great time for him. Um, you know, you feel about the uh, press conference that he had and the way he was and the, the situation. But I wish him well because he's a football man. He loves the game. But it was just probably the, the wrong person at the wrong time at the wrong club. Yeah. And Sam, obviously, you hear all those stories about the crazy guy and... Obviously, joking here being at the top of that beforehand. Um, I, I think that's probably the perfect question, Sam, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the question's already coming in about the crazy guy. I mean, you were coming through as a kind of young player then, Warren. Is that that atmosphere, was it kind of sink or swim? Or was there a bit of a togetherness inside that dressing room? No, there's a like initiation test, really. They test you. And, um, you know, when you go in there, and I'd come from lower league football, like majority of them players, you know, whether it was Brentford at the time or Maidstone, where I come from, or Port Vale with people like Robbie L. The, you know, the, the test was there from John Fashion and Vinnie Jones and uh, Eric, you know, uh, Gailey and all the players, you know, that have been at Club Dave Besson, obviously was, was there, the next Newcastle player as well. And uh, you just had to, to buy into it. It was sink or swim. And it was that togetherness. I remember one time I'd, I'd been doing reasonably well and getting some interest with Graham Taylor at England and, you know, 21, 22. I'd only been at the club like four or five weeks and I'm in training and I'm flying around and I'm thinking, yeah, this is easy. Uh, in, in the Premier League and just John Fashion who clotheslined me and I went flying over on the floor and he just looked at me and went settle down will you settle down this is a part of the club and you know and I think I told you the story with Vinnie Jones when we wasn't doing particularly well with Peter Wiv um, and I've got as a young player with the, the media how it was in the UK a, a journalist phoned me up and I was a young cocky kid and said um, you know Vinny said there's no mutiny at this, this place and I went well, I didn't realise it was a ship I wear a sailor's uniform so the back page of one of the papers the next day was Vin Vinny in a sailor's uniform. So you can imagine how that went down. And um, I'm there in early getting trains, to, you know, getting ready for training. All of a sudden, Vinny's walked in with uh, Mick Hartford, who's not to be messed with either, big Mick. Um, and I'm in the changing room with a couple of my so-called friends, Robbie L and, and John Scald. Vinny's come in there and yelled, where's effing Barton? At that point, them two run out the room and went in the in the showers and I was left <laughs> by myself. And he, he dragged me outside and gave me a good talking to. But he was winking when he was saying it and he just said, look, you will get your move. We are in this together. And them type of things have given me the, the, the groundwork and the, the philosophy of sticking together, you know, making sure we're a team. And, and it was their, their way of having that togetherness. And it, it kept me throughout my career and throughout my life. And uh, as I said, I thought Vinny was just going to rip my head off, but he kept on winking and said, look, you know, just bear with me. He's shouting and swearing at me. While actually Joe Kinnear was in his office, I'm thinking the manager's going to stop it because, the, the, you know, the captain's going to beat one of your players up. Joe shut his window and pulled his blinds down and left me to it. <laughs> so there's about 40 players outside and Vinny's standing over me and I've just got a pair of shorts on and he's shouting at me, pointing and pushing my head. But at that time, he's still winking at me saying, look, you'll be all right. I'm not going to hit you. I was like, thank God. Vinny. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Don't hit me. And, um, and then from then on, we've always been friends. He's over here in LA, and I've, I've been, in, you know, seen him a few times as well. And played for he had a, a Sunday team that he used to put together in Santa Monica. So, you know, things like that are good people. And you know, people have an opinion about him as a player, but as a person, he was always good to me. So um, it was a learning ground for me. I went there as a young boy at Wimbledon and left there as a as a man. Uh, and if you didn't, you you wasn't going to survive. And um, you know, that's how Wimbledon was at the time. We would win a lot of games in the in the uh, in the tunnel, you know, against Southampton, Coventry, Norwich, Fash, Vinny, we'd win it in the chat. We'd just intimidate teams and win the game. So we knew straight away we'd have X amount of points. And when Sir Alex Ferguson uh, come down to Sellers Park at the time and their team won, he actually put it in his book and said, as soon as I knew we wouldn't get intimidated by Wimbledon, I knew we'd get a chance of winning the league. And they went on and won it. So that's our biggest compliment because we didn't have the ability of a... Peter Beardsley or a Tino or, um, you know, uh, David Ginola. But what we had was togetherness and fight. And uh, that got us that got us away. You know, we never finished out the top when I was there, the top nine. So I think that was a good achievement. It is a very, very good achievement, it has to be said. Um, 
Warren, when you first came to the club, or I should say just before you came to the club, was there any other offers on the table or was it just you wanted to go to Newcastle, you wanted to be managed by Kevin Keegan? And were you ready for that big move? I was ready for that move. There's no doubt. And there's been a lot of speculation. Uh, Everton um, was one that was strong. Man City, Celtic had come in. I'd actually spoken to David Dean at Arsenal. Um, but anytime you, you meet Kevin Keegan, and it was a bank holiday Monday when Newcastle was playing Blackburn. And funny enough, it's Alan's birthday. He scored against Newcastle at the far post at Ewood Park. And um, I met Kevin at the hotel and he just said, come and join a big club. And um, there it was. You know, as I said, there was a lot of interest was from Sheffield Wednesday to Everton and, and other clubs. But Kevin was was very, very positive with me. And me and Les Ferdinand, actually, funny enough, we was in the England setup, And each month we were sort of like linked with the same club. Uh, and we, I'd say to him, where are you going? And he said to me, where are you going? And lo and behold, I, I went on the, I think it was on the Saturday and then Les turned up on the Monday. So, um Great, great times, exciting times, um, but you know, a long, long time ago. What was it about Kevin Keegan? Was it just the, the fact that he was this superstar? Well, well, not only that as well, because uh, I think I told Sam the story before. Me and Robbie O was doing a cool-down when I was at Wimbledon at St James's Park, and it was empty, uh, doing a cool-down after the game, and the atmosphere was sensational. And me and Robbie are doing a, a stretch, and I said, imagine playing for this lot. Imagine playing in front of these lot every week not knowing that four months later I'll be walking out as, as one of their players. And we went back to the Gosford Park um, and met Arthur Cox. I'm just talking about football, life, football, what was going on. And obviously Arthur was talking about Kevin and Terry McDermott and what the team was doing and the fans and the city. Um, and then lo and behold, as I said, four months later, I'm signing as one of their record signings. So um, it was there. It was always in the back of my mind. Arsenal as a kid when I was growing up was my team. Uh, Wenger wasn't around, um, but... You know, the team spirit we had at, at Newcastle and the, the togetherness with, for, with Kevin was phenomenal. And, you know, to go to Maiden Castle for training and have four or 5,000 people watching you train, I never used to have that at a Premier League game So for Wimbledon. So it was it was magnificent and it never disappointed me. It was it, People asked me what was the favourite moments. Obviously, you know, Barcelona games, your debut, you know, the 5-0 against Knott's Forest, then, you know, games the 5-0 against Man United, but all of it, you know, it was... It was a wonderful time in my life um, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Fantastic, Sam. I think obviously you're slightly older than me, but your memories of Warren when he, when he was first playing for Newcastle, you've got, he was a stalwart straight away. He was Obviously, he was the right back, especially in those t first season, season and a half in particular. It was the hair. Was... It was the hair that did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should say that. I mean, five minutes in and... Uh... Jason's already asked, did you like your uh, centre-parting nickname? Yeah, I mean, I took it both ways, Sam. It's like, I'm rather, not a very good football player, and I don't say about my skills. I had wonderful hair. So I, I go with the wonderful hair because the, the song and it just had a rhyme <laughs> and it, it just went with it. And, you know, it, lo and behold, it, but I had good competition there at the time because you had uh, Ginola had wonderful hair, with bits of grey going in it. Um, so yeah, we had we had a bit of competition, but yeah, it was. Um, it, I think that was part of my relationship with the fans. You know, it was all they knew. I was about a hundred percent. I didn't have the ability of Pedro or or, uh, or David Ginola, them type players, or Tino. But they they knew that they was getting, and they knew they could have fun with me, and I I would give everything like they would do if they had the chance to play for Newcastle. They would do the same as what I'm doing. And people say, "Well, you give a hundred percent," and I always say, "Well, that's that's the minimum that you can do." And the other bits on top are all, all great. But, um, yeah, the, the song was quite amusing. It still gets a chuckle now. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, I ain't got it anymore. I got, no, it's all gone now. So I'm, 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 I'm in no state of... No, exactly. You, you, on this. This, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do need a week. I know. <laughs> uh, um, no, let's talk about that 95-96 season. Second place to Manchester United so close to that title but we spoke with Lee Clark me and Sam did worrying about that season in particular um, and he said that the team camaraderie was just first class he said the actual team was just playing so well you were so confident going into each game he basically almost said that if it wasn't for Eric Cantona and Peter Schmeichel Newcastle would probably have a Premier League maybe maybe another one the season after it was just they were just two players that were just probably world class. Do you do you kind of agree with what Lee Clark may have said about that? 
yeah, I understand what Lee's saying. And, you know, some of the football that we played and the chemistry that we had on and off the field, and a lot of that comes down from Lee and uh, Steve Watson, Robbie Elliott, Steve Howie, Peter Beersley. So when we first got there, you know, we would all go out. I just see a picture of us going, you know, in Uno's as a group. We would go out as a group of players and, you know, socialise together. And then wives and that would go out for dinner and birthday parties and kids' christenings. And there was a real togetherness. And the fans see that. The fans see that we was always together. And I think they they like that they was quite pleased to see all the players you know you hear about Premier League players now isolating themselves and not speaking but even the likes of David and, and Les would be out in the, the big market and walking down and getting some food and being around the quayside as well and you know not just again not just out drinking but just being out, out out in the in the in the city and the city was vibrant it was getting you know really cosmopolitan with the restaurants and apartments that was all being built and it was exciting times and we emulated that as a, a squad of players um, and the, the training sessions, the way we played is the way we trained. I mean, some of the sessions we would play, the ball would be flying around. And I remember saying to Les in the first five or six weeks, did you touch the ball today? He went, no. I said, God, thank God for that. I thought it was only me because the ball was pinging around <laughs> everywhere and one touch, two touch and great um, you know, skill and touches and awareness from everybody. And I think when you look at the bigger picture, yeah, you can say Peter Smichael and, and Eric went the last 15, 16 games of like 1-0 saves his goal at the end. I think also as well, Kevin, which changed it a little bit, you know, Tino coming in um, to the, the team and David Batty and Lee. We didn't need to change our formation. I can understand your personnel, you know, Steve Watson coming in for me right back or Philip Albert for, um, for Steve Howie or, you know, Rob Lee for maybe um, Keith Gillespie or whatever it may be. I can understand it, but we just changed the whole dimension and then we changed our momentum and then we couldn't get any momentum back and they were still just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Um, and we just couldn't get anything back. We could, we was trying everything and Kevin was trying everything to try and get some momentum back into it. And we just, we just lost our mojo and we just never could get that. And uh, unfortunately, as I said to you before, Sam, never day goes by that, you know, I wish we, we would have won it and not for me, not for uh, my teammates or, or for Kevin, even for the fans. Because we've had our day and I loved every minute of it. And I, I can honestly stay, put my head on the pillow at night. I loved my time up there. I loved the city. I loved the people. But it would have been for them to have that, you know, a look at, you know, Liverpool getting it now. It's been 30 years. You see Blackburn and Leicester, we should have been on there. But, you know, it, yeah. it was our fault. We have to take responsibility. And But I do think it was a mixture of their relentlessness of how they was, Cantona and Schmeichel. But I think we we lost our way in the sense of changing it and we kept chasing it. And it was like sand in your fingers. Every time you try to get it, it was just slipping through. And, you know, you look at some of the games that we had, you know, West Ham, Man City, Forest, you know, we were playing and it's just, nothing was going for us. But, you know, you make your own luck. But we, um, we had a good go. You know, we had a good go, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Sam, I'll let you continue because obviously... It's just an era yeah. that Newcastle fans would just love right now, to be honest. For, for people my age, um, that team, and it's a testament that despite not winning anything, which is, you know, an absolute mind boggle how, but despite that, it's just, it was the whole reason that I support Newcastle United. It was the whole reason that got me into football. It was everything. It, that, that type of... Um, that type of football that was being played, the characters in that team, it's just so far away from what um, Newcastle is now. But um, we've got loads of questions coming in I from also, uh, people. Uh, the, the, Go on, the Mark. Kit we, the kit that we wore as well, the granddad colours. Just everything that went with it, the Newcastle thing, the shirt, the colours, the away shirt, it was just that time. It was perfect. It was perfect for, you said about yeah. personality and players, you know, Les. David Keith, you know, Batty and Lee Clark and whatever, all the players we had. Um, and it was just an iconic time, uh, you know, being in the time. It was everybody's second favourite team. I think because of the, well, because of the style of football, but I also think it's because of the fans. You know, we go down to Coventry, there'd be 7,000 fans there. You know, you go down to Selhurst Park and there'd be like 9,000 shorties down there, uh, which is probably the worst stadium to get out of. And, you know, that's something that really pushed the Premier League. You know, we... You talk about Cantona with his colours, us with that shirt, with the city, the people. And it wasn't really until Sir Bobby Robson come back in the latter times of my career at Newcastle that them times sort of started coming back. 
um, you know, Champions League football and, and starting to challenge. And I think that's all we really want now as fans. And we, we just want the club to challenge. You know, yes, being able to win something would be wonderful, but be challenging, be relevant to what's happening in the Premier League. And I, I think with the, the takeover that's obviously not happened at the moment, it wasn't just a takeover that was just going to be a new ownership. The money that the, we were talking about, Sam, was going to push us to the, yeah. the promised land of the city and PSG. So that's where the excitement come. It wasn't just, oh, it's a new owner, it's a local businessman, they're going to put £30 million in and, you know, we're, we're going to get behind him and he's a Geordie and we love him and he's going to make it work. It was that era again of Sir John Hall of breaking a record. Now, Alan's birthday is today. Going to break a record, a world record Newcastle for Alan Shearer. Could have gotten any club in the world, he'd come to Newcastle. Then, you you know, as I said, with Tino Espria and, and, and other players that have come to the club, that's what we wanted to have and that's what we thought we was going to get going into this season coming. But we keep our fingers crossed. But that, I think everything involved at that time in the mid-90s, early 2000s, was everything that Newcastle was about. When I think of Newcastle, it, it was young, vibrant, you know, energetic, you know, trend. It was just different. It was just something that... People would travel from all over the world to come to... I remember, you know, the city was one of the top five best cities in the world for party time. So, you know, that's Newcastle. You know, and it was it was a it was a, a time to be around. And, you know, if we could help in any way, the way we was playing and, you know, talking to Steve Howie about things is that we actually enjoyed having that pressure of people working hard Monday to Friday and we wanted to entertain you at the weekend. Sam, we wanted to make sure you'd walk into... You're probably young enough, go back into school saying, yeah, we just beat, we just beat Everton 3-0 at Goodison. Yeah, we just went to uh, Anfield and knocked them out of the cup. Yeah, we just beat, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. And oh, the day at school, the day after that 5-0 against Man United. My yeah. word, I felt 10 foot tall that morning. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I can imagine it just... Those those are the memories you want as a kid. And obviously, I think the one thing that you've mentioned, the one, is the ambition. It's challenging. Is that what's just Newcastle... Are, desperately missing at the minute because I think Steve, I don't know if Steve Bruce was misquoted in this but he said that we should be happy that we're challenging with Southampton that yeah. shouldn't be the case should it no I, I not the Newcastle I think of and even in the circumstances of you know the ex-managers that have been before they've had money to spend and it's not been done well recruiting players some have some haven't the academy seems to be overlooked you know there's, there's good young players around but are they being given the chance and are they going to be given the opportunity to play, you know? And that's what happened with Lee Clark and Steve Watson. They was, was able to play in the, in the in the games. And, you know, we haven't got the, the opportunity to do that. You know, it saddens me that I go asked to go on Sky or BBC or, or Fox or whatever and talk about Newcastle surviving. It's not, Newcastle shouldn't be about surviving. You know, it shouldn't be just about surviving. So people say, well, you should take a, a reality check and, it's not, if I look at that club and if I was to be involved in that club, it would be my ambition and my standards are higher than just challenging with Southampton. If that's what we've become, then it's a sad state. It's worse than I actually thought. Because Southampton will start off every day thinking, well, we're just staying in the league. And that, listen, nothing wrong with Southampton. They, you know, there was our bogey team and Letizia would always score against us. But Newcastle is better than that, in my opinion. We, we should be, if Wolves can do it, Leicester can do it. Why, why are we not up there? That's that's, that's easy. It, I know Man United and Arsenal and Chelsea and Man City and Liverpool. You know they've always been up there. Not City so much because they've got the money or Chelsea really to, to be a, when I was playing. But you know now when you look at where we are, you know we are a long way away. But we should still. I would start my pre-season with higher expectations than finishing than challenging Southampton. Yeah, completely agree. I don't know about yourself, Sam, but I think that is one hundred percent bang on. We shouldn't just be aiming yeah. just for the minimum. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, a team like Southampton, if they lose Danny Ings, they get relegated for me. There, there's just nothing about that nine, side. Out. Beat nine nil by Leicester. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and, and they still finish above us. It makes, yeah, uh... makes no yeah. sense to me. It, that, that's what it was about this takeover. Like Warren said, that it just represented hope, and and it wouldn't have been. You know, instant success. It would have been that nice, just slow build journey, similar to what um, Sir Bobby brought. That it was that nice. Okay, got us out of the brown stuff, got us to eleventh, then boom, we're challenging for fourth and third. And uh, what it's like to be. Uh, we we'll get there. We we'll get there one day. We we'll get there one day. Why do you think? Why do you think that will happen, Warren? Do you think it will happen one day when Newcastle yeah, can I, get back there? 
Yeah, I think globally, and I'm talking about in the States here, there was so much interest about the takeover of Newcastle. And I'm talking about on major networks as well. So I think that everybody sees the game of, of football, and particularly the Premier League, growing uh, in the States in particular and, and other parts of the world. Um, and looking at the investment, the Champions League, and looking what you know the history that it's had of, of competing at a, a high level, and just the excitement and the fans and the, you know that sort of package, the area. You now, when you get a train and you're going up into Newcastle, and the first thing you see and the only thing you see is, is St James's Park. Um, that is quite iconic to a lot of people, and I think you know you look at Man United and you look at other clubs that have been successful uh, over recent years. Is you know the money and the financial backing that they've had, and also stability with a coach like Sir Alex Ferguson and whether it was Arsene Wenger. But I think people are appealed to a club like Newcastle. You know, people can't get their head around that. You know, you're in a, 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 the second tier and you still got 52,000 people turning up and people waiting for tickets. They can't, couldn't understand that. And then it's like, not only is it a, a person wanting to buy a club, but you're talking about a country that wants to buy one of the clubs. And now why would they want to do it? And that's why, again, you've got maybe... A, American ownership that are interested now. You've got maybe people from Europe that want to that want to buy and come in. It's it's appealing. It's a, it's an elite club of twenty members, and out of them twenty members, eight of them are uh, eight or nine are big clubs, are really big clubs. And like Leeds would be another one. You know, you look at Leeds. You know them coming up. It's, it's good to because Ellen Road when that's packed, and you've got another four thousand Geordies in there. That's a hell of an atmosphere as well. So, you know, that's going to be a, a stepping stone for someone. So. Yeah, people look around and, and can see the potential of what Newcastle... And you're right, Sam, it, it saddens me that we have to go back 24 years to talk about the good old days. I know we had one or two bits with, um, you know, whether it was Glenn, Rodo or Pardew, but you know, I'm talking about the manager and the club and the players all being one. You know, it's not since St Bobby that that's really happened. I, I don't think, anyway. Yeah, so probably Robson, and again, we'll, we'll touch upon maybe the latter stage of your career at Newcastle, but again, a fantastic manager, and probably you, you argue him or Keegan, probably the best Newcastle manager in the last 30, 40 years for sure. Let's touch about 96, 97, because obviously you touched by that Manchester United game, the 5 0 win. And then obviously there was the managerial change with Kevin Levin and Kenny Daglish coming in. Firstly, after that Manchester United game, did you did you think now this is where we can actually we we've got it now we can actually win this league now because this is we've managed to beat the best team our own patch after they embarrassed us in the charity shield and then what was that transformation like after Kevin left and then Kenny coming in? Yeah, I, I think we go back to the Smiker one 0 Canton game. You know, when we sat back after that one, we was devastated, and I think that hit everybody. Because I think deep down we knew that was the turning point, not the Nottingham Forest or the Upton Park game or, or whatever. We just felt that that was a game that we should have actually won 5 0. That should have been 5 0 if it wasn't for the Post and Peter Schmeichel uh, going forward. Um, and then the Charity Shield, we've been all over the world. We've gone down to Lincoln to play a game for Darren Huckabee because he'd come across. And we actually got embarrassed by Man United in the, the Community Shield, the Charity Shield, Community Shield, whatever you want to call it. And um, Kevin didn't have to say anything before that game because I looked at people like Alan, who was unplayable in that game, David Ginola in particular. I've never seen Gary Neville have such a torrid time against someone uh, and David yeah. just ruined him. And he'd done it to a lot of people. Lee, Lee Dixon would be another one, but he did it to Gary. And what, that second goal from David when it went in, um, you know, they come back at us and made it difficult. But then we get a, a great ball in by Alan, who always said he was the best crosser of the ball for Les Ferdinand to get the third one. And then... Alan gets his tap in and then the, the beauty of Philip Albert, you know, the wonderful chipper, iconic moment and a great call by Martin Tyler for the goal going in. And um, we just looked we, we just looked like we was in business. You know, we're a proper team. A record afterwards, I just got found out that it wasn't great. We didn't really put a decent run, but just self-confidence and just a bit of pride because we, we'd been hit badly, uh, as I said, a few months earlier. Uh, and to beat them on a TV in front of the in front of the world, in front because everybody was watching that game, um, to do that to them because no one no one would do that to them, and you know they was well beaten. Um, yeah, it gave us confidence, you know. And then, you know, things was going well. We beat we beat Spurs seven one in the new year, and then we get a phone call on Tuesday morning before the Aston Villa game. Terry McDermott and Arthur Cox want to meet us upstairs, so we all go in as a squad of players and. And, you know, with a tear in his eye, Terry McDermott said that Kevin's gone. He didn't want to be there. We knew about the transformation of, like, the 
the company being floated and the, the going on the stock exchange for the club and it was a, a time of of change in the northeast for the for newcastle in particular to generate more money and and how it was going to go about um but we was all devastated because largely kevin had bought every single one of them players to the club um and then for him to walk out um and leave us really was was a was a real kick in the teeth because um yeah, as I said he was a special manager. Um and then someone that come in like Kenny Dalglish had instant respect from all of us. Uh, I'm not saying everybody got on with him. And you know, that's that's obviously, you know, people like David and Tino and other players maybe didn't see eye to eye with, with Kenny, but he'd come in and was doing the best. He'd been at Liverpool and obviously been successful. He knew Alan very, very well at Blackburn, so he knew how to get the best out of Alan and to make Alan happy. Um, and lo and behold, you know, if it wasn't for, for Kenny, he got us to a cup final, which he hadn't been to, and, and got us second in the league. Um, you know, as I said, beating beating Nottingham Forest 5-0 at home, and it was quite nice. Sunderland and Middlesbrough got relegated that season. So it was, it was <laughs> quite, quite a good day that day for us. But Kenny come in and was the opposite to KK in the sense of uh, he didn't really want to be involved with the fans too much. He was very quiet. He was great with us as players. Um, obviously, he'd been successful at Liverpool and, and a great player. We, we knew that. But he he was really about football, about the club, about how it was going. Um, and he, he got us maybe a little bit more organised defensively uh, to get, you know go to Arsenal and win 1-0 when Robbie Elliott scored. That made sure that we got the, the second spot and into the Champions League. So, it was totally different in the personality way, but still a, a very, very good manager in the sense of you know looking after his players understanding what we was playing for um and obviously terry stayed with him and uh, terry was with him for a long long time and that kept the transition kept it quite smoothly because it wasn't like a big change of of backroom staff but we never really got the flowing attractive football that we had before because the personnel started to change the understanding of winning a game rather than being you know flamboyant in the game was a little bit more important because it was about winning a trophy and Kenny had felt that we needed to be a bit more resilient rather than being too more expansive. And that might be enough to win as, win as a, a cup final. But we come against Arsenal, who was phenomenal. We didn't turn up in that day, you know, as you, you touched on it earlier. People playing out of position. I ended up playing right midfield to try and help Pastoni with Overmars. Well, that didn't go down too well because I think Overmars scored in about 11 minutes, 12 minutes. So I blame that on Pastoni. It was his fault. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and, then, and as I said, there was lots of rumblings then, but um, you know, it was it was a time that was different to the KK time because obviously it was so exciting. But we we played some good stuff, and we still had a great time against Barcelona. The the performance of Tino there, and again finishing second that season, and and, and doing well and competing. Um, you know, but then it all sort of changed uh, when Rude came along. Oh, Sam, I'll, I'll let you ask Warren about the Barcelona game because beating Barcelona at any point as a Newcastle fan is probably rare at the best of times, but what a day, what a night. So I remember speaking to Keith Gillespie about this because he was unplayable that night. I thought that was one of the... Keith Gillespie in that game was one of the best performances I've ever seen in the black and white shirt. But what the thing is, Kenny seemed to have great moments, but then... It, it's, it's, it was weird because I still can't make up my mind about his managerial reign because even like everything was just so hot and cold because even you look at the transfers he brought, he brought in Shea Given, Gary Speed, but then he brought in John Barnes, Ian Rush and it was, and Des Hamilton as uh, Lee Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so what, was there not a, a thing in the dressing room where you're kind of looking around thinking, oh, hang on, Jinnah's has gone, Les has gone, what's, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it was um, a, a trans... The team was being transformed from... I was away with Les, actually. Me and my wife was away with Les in, in Bali. And, you know, Spurs was calling them up all the time. And Kenny had said that... Because he'd, he'd like John Dale Thomason, who was being phenomenal at Feyenoord, but it wasn't Les Ferdinand. He'd said to Les that you're not going to play every game. So Les was like, I've just scored 50 goals in two years. Um, I think I know what I'm doing. And I said to Les, just, and I think Les has said it himself, he wished he would have dug his heels in and said, all right, then put me on the bench. See what this, see what this <laughs> 2,000 people are going to do if you stick me on the bench for John Dale Thomason. John Dale Thomason was only 21 years of age and he went on to win a Champions League. 
but his Newcastle career was was indifferent to say the least. And I go back to the Sheffield Wednesday game, his first game, he broke away. He didn't hit the target and then the fans got on his back and it, again, it suffocated him a little bit. And, you know, he went off back to Holland. He did well. And as I said, went to AC Milan and won a Champions League. But, you know, the Les Ferdinand obviously left and then Alan went to Goodison Park and we played Ajax and he broke it, dislocated his ankle. So then he's out for the season. And Tino was great, but we didn't know what we was going to get from Tino at Highbury, at Anfield or at Old Trafford. We knew what to get at home. It'd be brilliant, but we wasn't sure what we'd get away from home. And then, like you said, he brought in some experienced players uh, like Stuart Pearce, who was great role models. But again, we didn't really need you know, experience because we had Gary, we had myself, we had Rob. We, you know, Shay coming in as a young goalkeeper has, has turned out to be one of the best buyers that Newcastle's ever had for one and a half million and the service that he's got. But it, 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 that's where the club was just trying to patch up with the money that they had. They didn't have the 15 million to go and buy someone they didn't have that type of money to spend eight million on Tino Espria. So Ken, Kenny was trying to wheel and deal and get players in that could maybe get us through that next period of Champions League money and, and go along. And that's how the club had been transformed. But as a manager and as uh, as he looked afterwards and his his heart and soul into the club, he, he was no different to any of the other Bobby or uh, Kenny. But it's just the way his personality outside with the fans with the media, he was more of an introvert than an extrovert, where both of the, you know, Sir Bobby and Kevin was extroverts. They wanted to be out there. They'd, they'd speak to fans. I remember waiting outside Anfield for 45 minutes and Bobby still signing autographs. The kids didn't want it. They wanted to leave, but Bobby still wanted to sign autographs for them. And we was like, come on. Get <laughs> but he would just be out there signing. And the same with Kevin, you know, we'd stop and, you know, we'd go to the Weatherby Whaler and there'd be a group of, you know, Geordies that was coming back from Southampton away and, you know, KK would go and buy him fish and chips and be talking to him for 20 minutes and, and we'd be on the bus waiting. But, you know, Kenny wasn't like that. And that's that was his personality. But he was still a very, very good manager and he was very, very good for the players that was there. Uh, but it was a change in time at the club at Newcastle. I think it's it's I think Sam's at the nail on the head, really, with, it, with Kenny Daglish. It was just some fantastic moments and... Sometimes with the media and also with you guys, the fans, he would come out and maybe have a go at the referee or the weather or like Stevenage game, you know. Listen, we was crap today. I remember Sir Bobby, we played Charlton at the Valley and we'd already been, it'd come out that we was going on a trip to Portugal to play golf as a a break, a mid-season break and somehow or another it got out into the press. Kenny, when we played against Stevens, was like, oh, it was windy, the pitch, and made the excuses. Instead of saying we was crap, we, we're beaten when we get home, and, you know, we, we underachieved, we didn't do well, and we would accept that. We would accept that as players. But he didn't want, that wasn't Kenny style. Where Sir Bobby, when he got asked by Sky what happened today, he said they were bloody awful. Look at them. I mean, it's not the same players, and they embarrassed us, and, you know, it's not good enough for you playing for this. And it, he was right. <laughs> he was right. We're sitting on the bus, and he'd come on and he said, I've just told him. I've just told him what I think about you, lot. And we we know Gaffer. We, we, we know that. And, uh, and I remember KK doing the same thing at, at Highbury when we got beat. He come out and, and there was four or five of us. He, he, he hammered us in the press, but he was right. He wasn't doing it because he was being vicious or he, he was just saying what he felt. And and so Bobby was the same, where Kenny would just keep that close because he didn't think it was the right thing to, to do. But the fans are not stupid. They knew that. And they'd rather hear the truth than maybe the, you know it was windy and the ball was flat. <laughs> do you think that's what miss, what's missing from the game now? Because you don't get... A lot of managers have kind of almost got a script before pre and post match press conferences they've been told by the media officers don't say this do say that do you think now we could just want a bit more honesty off managers even even if it is the truth every manager should take a leaf out of Ronnie O'Sullivan's interview the other day yeah (laughs) when when he comes (laughs) in and said what he said or Jurgen Klopp perfect for me he he says it how it is you know and he gets you know pat on the back because always being honest well, that's, you know, that's the whole point. How can you kind of, I mean, Wenger used to say, oh, I didn't see it. You've got 15 cameras, you know, of course you see it, you know, it's, you know, but it's, that's part of the game. You know? And you're right, the press officer says, oh, be careful saying this, or, uh, the, you know, the manager doesn't want to talk to you. But I, I think it's when you come out and you, you say what it is and, you know, people have to take it on the, the chin. I think we're in a world at the moment, we're all a bit, you know, walking on eggshells, everything we say. I think athletes need to be told the right thing. And I think you handle that better. Yeah, just before we touch about the uh, Rude Hullet 
and that sort of that cup that year, year and a bit at Newcastle where you played under him. I want you to, if you don't mind touching about Alan Shearer, because obviously it is his 50th birthday today. And, you know, I know you've done a bit of stuff with BBC Radio Newcastle before, Warren, but obviously what an absolute player, probably the best, arguably the best player to play for Newcastle in its history. Obviously you see him scoring the goal against Chelsea with Gary Speed, who obviously is sorely missed at Newcastle, but what a player, what a career. And is it going to, is there, is there anybody that's actually close to Alan Shearer in terms of what he did on a football pitch? No, I think the closest one would have been uh, Wayne Rooney. When when he was when Wayne was in his forte, he he was as good as Alan. Because looking at a lot of Alan goals, which I was looking over the last probably three or four weeks that was being put out there, I didn't realise how many different goals he scored. You know, some of them was weldies, the one against Chelsea and Everton come to mind, and the Aston Villa the volley against Peter Schmeichel, and then some of them would be just pure power. Uh, I remember Ian Rush talking to me about Robbie Fallon, saying Robbie's like a a natural finisher. Alan is just power. You just don't stop him. And he would smash it in, whether it was a penalty, running through. But he, the, the goals that he scored with his head, um, he just thrived on it. But being around Alan uh, with England and then obviously being around with him at Newcastle, it doesn't surprise you, you know, how driven he was. And don't forget the injuries that he had, you know. An ACL injury in the, the mid-90s was was a big, big deal. Uh, but only someone like him is mentally tough enough to, to come through it and self-driven to be the best and then he as i said he dislocated his ankle against ajax and you know the pain that he was in um you know he was, he was yelping from the side and for him to be in that much pain and then to come back and to come through it all with the character that he's got um you know in training he used to say to us look me and nobby you know solano you know crossing i want you to put the ball in and this is where i want it and if you didn't put it where he wanted it he would now, you talk about Michael Jordan in this documentary that he's doing. Alan weren't far behind him. He would he would rip your head off and, and tell you and, and right and, and you do you make sure the next time you put it on his head and he put it away and to go into a game knowing that you've got a chance of at least getting one goal every game. Um, I think it gets overlooked because people want to say with the flares and the, the tricks of Ronaldo and Messi, but as a goal scoring machine in arguably the hardest league in the world with some of the best defenders, uh, Desai that they play against and. Uh, Tony Adams and that Arsenal back four and it still score goals against that lot and um, a pleasure to be around you know I'm, I'm so pleased for him that his career his family his his wife at Lania was was great to us we see him as a friend even now I sent him a text um, last night to wish him all the best and the first thing I did I wrote him this morning he said thanks and put a thumb up he don't have to do that you know and that, I think it tells you a lot about him um, but self-driven um I remember a quick story when we was actually with England. I was at Wimbledon and, and he was at Blackburn at the time. And obviously, I think he scored about 25 goals that season. So we come down for breakfast and I'm I'm panicking, you know, really nervous. 22 years of age. I'm in the England setup. There's, you know, all the big stars are there. And I come down for breakfast and Alan's always there. He's like, a, you know, like me, eight o'clock in the morning, gets up, wants his breakfast. We go for training at half nine. So I'm sitting at the table just having my, my cereal and a cup of tea. There's three large tables of 15 people could sit on it so i'm sitting at the one that's near like the coffee side alan comes in doesn't even say hello picks up his breakfast and sits on the table 30 feet away so he's on one I'm on I'm like, okay all right but that's just how you know he was and once you got to know him and once you got to be in his circle he was different class you know as i said i'd see him as a friend you know you spoke about gary speed and we all went through such emotions, me, Rob and, and uh, Shay and Alan, because we was really tight. We was really, really tight towards the end of our career at Newcastle. And, you know, all of us that day would never get over what happened with Gary. And, you know, Alan, you know, speaks volumes of, of Gary. And it just the 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 um, compassion he shows for everybody and what he's done uh, is a role model. And, you know, he, he, He's got great personality as well. He is a funny sod. You know, he, he can dig you out. He, he's a typical Geordie. He's got that little side to him. You know, he's, he's yeah, he's straight shape. But then he, he has that little Geordie one-liners and it, it can kick you right in the teeth. But yeah, as I said, he's a gentleman and he, he deserves everything he gets. He should have got more. We should have given him a, a Premier League title at least or an FA Cup or, or something like that. Fantastic tribute to, well, to both men as well, I should add. Um, Sam, the Rude Huller era. Um talking about Alan Shearer, obviously Alan Shearer, Rude Hullet, and that, was, yeah. that might be an interesting story. Um, but why do you, in your opinion, Sam, the last I one, the same the question, why do you not think it worked I hated it. 
I remember just to touch briefly because when I was younger, when Rude got the job, I was like, oh, so disappointed because lo and behold, I actually wanted Bobby Robson <laughs> as a fan. I wanted Bobby Robson, <laughs> and then Rude Hullet there, and you could just tell it just wasn't going to work. And obviously, so many players had uh, run-ins with him, Warren. What was it? Um, how did the – although the respect was there for Kenny and there was a shift, there was there had to be a, a different sort of shift this time with Rude. Yeah, I think with, with Rude, the, the sexy football line was straight away got our back up. It was like, really? That's what we've become, sexy. And I mean, that wasn't – wasn't what we wanted to be seen as. We wanted to be winners. We wanted to play attractive football. He didn't get it. As soon as he come out and said it's a regional derby, not a, not a city derby, he didn't get what Newcastle was and what it meant to everybody. And you know, when you've got people there that have been there from day one, like Rob Lee, Bez, um, myself, you know, that have been around from a, from a long, long time, and Steve Howie and, and, and Gary as well. And then he comes in. Listen, as players, we get on with it. We went, we got to a cup final. You know, we got to a cup final with him, uh, which was a bloody miracle because some of the football, <laughs> you know, you talk about possession. You know, he, I remember once him saying is that we keep the ball really well, but it's like, but we don't go anywhere. We've got, like, we're talking about the best striker. He, he's the best with his back to the goal at the moment because he never gets the ball in front of him. And, um, you know, Rude would say things like, listen, I know you're English defenders, but try and play a little bit. It, just certain things like that. And, one thing that always sticks in my mind is that we was we was playing a game and it was a muddy day and Tomo the kit man, who's a lovely fellow, he's still there, Tomo, and uh, Derek Wright, who was where when I he went to Rude went to Tomo about doing the press. Can you just clean my he didn't even say can you? He said, Clean my shoes, please, like this to Tomo, the kit man. And I'm standing next to him and I went, Tomo, don't do that. I said, I'll I'll let him do it. I'll do it. And I just played. So I started I said, Rude, don't ask someone to clean your shoes. Do do it yourself. I didn't say Rude, I said Gaffer, you know, do it. Made the you know that's the type of thing that was so different. It's not part of my makeup that you'd ask someone to clean your shoes. Like so, Bobby would never do that. You know, even though he couldn't bend down with his bad back or his hip or whatever. And I'm not saying that made Rude Hullet a bad person about, but it just wasn't what Newcastle people are about and what the club was about at the time. And um, you know, football wise, what a play. You know, we played Reading away. We opened the stadium down at Reading in pre-season, and we was awful. We was appalling we was awful in the game he got a shirt put it on he was by far the best player head and shoulders above any of us out there so as a player we respected him and you said that initial thing but it didn't take as long to see through the fact of how he was and then what what he did to alan and you know remember chesley street we're doing a little bit of a monday uh, morning little session and then just doing some set pieces and alan had a, a different color bib on so I said, what are you doing? I said, because like, obviously there was a few press around and there were some fans watching the game. He went, I ain't playing. I went, what? I said, you're joking. Yeah. He went, no, he's not playing me. So I was like, here we go. So I went into to Rude and said, look, you know, why are you not playing him? I mean, it's not my business, but, you know, he's, he's, we're playing Sunderland. And it's, you know, any team you don't get dropped and went home, he went, well, believe in what I'm doing. No one ever told me. If I was being left out, Rude said, I said, well, with all due respect, Rude, you never got told you was being left out at AC Milan, did you? you no one ever told you you wasn't playing. Um, he went, well, I'm, I think it's the best thing for the team. I said, well, it, it's, it's one of them things. It's a big loss for us. And, I, and he played Paul Robinson and we did OK. And we was one nil up. And I remember Rude coming out in the press conference and said, well, we was, we was winning until he come on. And then obviously we lose the game 2-1. Two, two um and, you know, that was a big turning point, obviously. And what made me laugh is that Big Duncan Ferguson and uh, Alan, the next day, Wednesday morning, it was our day off, they'd gone into Rude's office. He was already on a flight, the KLM flight to Amsterdam. two <laughs> <laughs> bags from the hotel. And, and, and Alan and uh, Big Duncan were sitting in the car park for 90 minutes waiting to bang on his door and he'd already left. So they were gone. So that was it. But, um, yeah, I mean, as, a, as I said, as a football person, he's a great pundit. He, he comes across well. But as you, I think you asked the Chelsea boys as well, um, you know, his man management skills and just personality how he was, it wasn't how I would, would like to treat someone. Yeah, and then there must have been the exact opposite with Sir Boy Robson, a breath of fresh air. And obviously, a, he had those. He was fortunate enough that he was a local lad. He knew what Newcastle was all about. And he obviously spoke briefly about the, the game against Charlton. But did he just treat you like men? Was that probably in professionals? Is that was that probably 
I don't want to be almost disrespectful there, but is it is that probably the right assessment? You know, we was delighted. The th- I was me and Gary was laughing because we was in a in a circle. So Bobby's come over and he's got a spring in his step and he's smiling and he's rubbing his hands how he how he used to do it. And he just he went round and shook everybody's hand and he actually he knew my name. So I went, that's a result. I said he, he knows who I am because you know he'd go around and go and uh, I was Barton and Speed and then he'd go to Alan and say hi Alan and you know things like that. And he you know I want you to do well and he just went to Alan. I don't want you to keep showing for the ball. I want you I want you facing the goal so you can score goals. So we played Sheffield Wednesday on the Saturday and he scored five goals. But just how he was and how he's his personality. He, he he loved being around football people. It wasn't a job to him. As I said, when he come running onto the train, and I can see him now coming out of Chesley Street, the little brick office, he had a little skip in his step. And you're talking to someone there that was, what, late 60s, whatever he would have been then. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not 100% sure. But he was skipping around and getting, and he was talking to everybody. And, and you're married, you've got kids. Uh, you're just a, not a genuinely a really, really lovely man. And, you know, if you can... You know, looking at that documentary that we we had uh, of him, if you don't want to play for someone like him, you you, you know you should never play the game because he was just purely into football, and it, it sickens me what happened at the end. It angers me how some of the young players treated him and the club uh, as well. Uh, some of the hierarchy could have done better. Um, I'm not saying it would have ha- it wouldn't have happened, but it definitely if me Gary and and Rob Lee was around, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been anarchy the way it was breaking out. Um, but just night and day, as I said, someone that come in and just love being around football people. Rude was about golf, him, you know, whatever you've done is great. But, you know, players are not stupid. They see through that straight away. And, um, you know, it, it was a it was a pleasure to be around Bobby. And he, he just brought, he brought the smile back on people's face and he brought the belief back that we could actually do something. And, and that's what had been missing for, for a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Sam, what are your memories of uh, Warren Swords, maybe the Savoy Robson era? It just it just gave a new lease of life. Obviously, I touched on before. I wanted him before Rude came in because it just seemed like a no-brainer. But um, we got him in the end, and it was just Bobby was kind of like I'd, I'd never been lucky enough to 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 meet them, but I've got I got his autograph uh, via my auntie. But he just seemed like like he's your favourite granddad kind of thing. <laughs> he's just he's just he's just very like very easy to. To kind of love him for what he was, and he was just a football guy through and through. And he was just my favourite Newcastle manager of, of since I've been supporting the club because that journey he took us from second bottom when we played Sheffield Wednesday to you know playing in the Champions League at Milan, Barcelona again, and it, it was just brilliant. But and you, um, look, you look at that first season that he come in, you know the one buy he bought, and I keep I've said this to people, you know uh, Kevin Gallagher come in from Blackburn. Everyone wasn't playing there. And he just transformed us as a team because Kevin would play in and around Allen, would help Allen out. He would work the right-hand side so Kieran could play in the middle. Bobby, soccer brain of knowing the best out of someone. And just what I loved about him, he would use you for that period. And people say, well, that's not... And he did that with me and Rob Lee. He used us to get us, you know, established in the Premier League, stayed us there, which, again, wasn't good enough for us. Then he got us up in the seventh, eighth position. And then it was time for... You know, Jermaine Genus to come in and, and other players that he brought in, you know, Cliver, the you know, players that was coming in when we was like mid 30s, middle 30s to ease us out. And that's what everyone raves about, uh, Sir Alex about how the way he did it. So Bobby did it as well. Bobby knew when just to, to get them out. And listen, he bought some bad ones as well from South America. So, and we would, we would make fun about oh, that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's what I say. I know, son. I know, son. Don't tell. You know, I had to try it. It was where we was. And I know, son, but don't don't worry about it now. We're, we're going in a different... No, Craig Bellamy was along and we had young, vibrant, but Titus Bramble and, you know, players like that. That was, okay, not everybody's cup of tea, but he could play. He could play. And uh, with Nikos next to him and, and other players that was doing well and the, the younger players, and then you had the backbone of Shay, Gary, and, and Alan right the way through the team, with the other people going alongside it. It was, it, it was great times, and I think people overestimate from a team that just about you know mid table, and then within eighteen months you got us in the Champions League, and you said we went to Inter Milan and uh, and beat them. So I mean that's a, that's a hell of a record. I mean it took Kevin three or four years to to get to that, and you know so Bobby done it when other teams had more money, more resources, but 
he was able to find a player and get the he could squeeze them he got everything he could out of me when it when i played for him and the club i couldn't give anymore I, and he said that to me he said you give me everything you got that's it and, you know at the end of the day that's all you want to hear from a, from a manager and he, he would say that um, numerous things to gary to shay and rob lee he said doggy you know you, you're 38 how old are you sir and rob would say i'm 35 he said i can't ask for anymore I can't ask for anymore. You're 35 years of age, and that's how he would be. And um, you know, as I said, he was he was a special, special man. Yeah, um, we, we have to. We miss him actually. The club misses him. The people miss him. It, we, we all miss him. Oh yeah, I couldn't couldn't say that any better. He is just he is Newcastle. I think mean, that's probably the the best quote I could put over. He is Newcastle. There actually is a little story. I've, I've actually known a couple of Sunderland fans, unfortunately, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> They said that they went. They went to a derby game about. I think it would. You might have still been at the club, or and it was um, the game when Nick Ofdabiza scored the the winner at the same light. And every obviously every Newcastle player that comes in will get the booze and etc. They'll get obviously the expletives. When Sabai Robson came off the bus and came back onto the bus, yeah, he didn't get one single boo. Got a couple of claps. There was no disrespect yeah. towards yeah. Sabai Robson from the Sunderland fans, and I think that probably shows the respect. The only other one that got that was Peter Beardley as well. Pedro would never get that. He would get off the bus and people were clapping. I'm thinking, they just booed me. They just thrown <laughs> <just laughs> something at me. Peter, they're clapping. And it was and it's the same with Bobby. You know, even with them, you know, the, the, the dislike we have and the, the rivalries that we, we have with each other, with players and fans. And uh, that's what makes it so special. Um, with him, it was different. It, it was different because he it, it was more than it was Newcastle. You're right, Sam. But it was it, like he epitomised what the North East is like. Bobby Charlton and Jack Charlton. It's not just about North, Newcastle. It's about the North East, the people, uh, and even the smoggies. You can throw them lot into it as well. But he, they have a special bond and they have a special respect because he it wasn't just respect. You know, representing Newcastle, he was representing the North East as well. Um, and people, you know, people loved him. Yeah, you go to Porto, you go to Holland, and wherever he was, yeah, people in awe of him because he he was such a such a lovely, lovely man. I mean, what he went through at Barcelona. If you ever get a chance, watch that documentary because it's it's insane uh, what he went through. And Pep said it himself. You know, to keep his dignity in them circumstances, knowing what's going on, speaks volumes of a man. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sam, I'm going to ask you the question, and I'd like you to ask Warren the same question because it's is. Very, it's literally the same thing. What's your best Warren Barton moment at Newcastle? And then I'll ask Warren himself about it. Do you know, do you know what? My remember. moment, I guarantee you it's not going to be the answer that Warren... Well, he absolutely can, but it's not going to be the answer you give. So, like, early Newcastle moments that are ingrained in me, like, I kind of associate with different kind of things that happened in my life. So I was I was about six or seven years old, and I was in hospital, and we played Ferenc Varosh at home. We were 3-2 down after the first leg, and we won the second leg 4-0. Warren came on and set up the fourth goal for Les. That's it. That was it. That was it. It's just different, different, different. Different, different, different things. So I guarantee you, Warren, you're not going to say that was your best moment in a Newcastle shit. <laughs> what was? You know what? Not necessarily, and I've said this to you before, Sam, all of them, you know, the 220 appearances, I mean, it sounds cheesy and, and whatever, but one moment that really sticks out for me, we won the semi-final against Spurs at Old Trafford. And I think it was a big turning point for me and the fans and everything else. For some, you know, for some reason, I, I, at the time, no one knew would do it. I, I took my shirt off and threw it into the fans. And the play, and my wife was in the same. She thought the stadium was going to fall down. All the wives were in the box and, you know, the fans are going ballistic. And for some reason, everything changed after that. My rapport with the fans and, you know, the the way that we have that bond now and that together. I know there's a lot of younger fans, but that point, and it was quite a big picture. It went in, like, the, the newspapers and it was in the local, the Chronicle. It went in the programme. It was quite an iconic moment where I, I took my shirt off and celebrated with the fans because it just meant so much to get to a final. What we'd been through with Rude, what we'd gone through to get to another final, and Alan had obviously smashed it in the, in the top corner uh, against Spurs. Um, that that was a moment that really defines with me. That sticks in my memory. It wasn't. I said I played I played well, and I probably played a lot better in other games like the Barcelona game, the five 0 uh, Nottingham Forest game, my debut. Yeah, there's lots of good games. There's lots of times that I can remember. 
But that one in particular, being at Old Trafford semi-final, sticks in my mind because it sort of finished the, the, the circle of my time at Newcastle. How it started, the bad time, the difficult time, the challenging time, the good times, and then it just completed it all. And for me, that's that was a moment that's like, you know what? I'm, I'm all right now. I'm okay. I, I feel... I feel like I've achieved something. So that that was even that talking about now the hairs on my arms are sticking up and stuff like that. But it was just silly things like that, you know. And that's what keeps you going. Warren, you certainly have achieved a lot at Newcastle United, and I'm sure every fan that's watched this video or maybe given it a like and probably going to listen to the podcast in a couple of weeks will say exactly the same thing. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on for the last hour or so. You've been brilliant company to have. Sam, I'm sure you'd want to say the same thing. Yeah, great to have him on. I said after the uh, first time we did an interview, Warren, I could talk to you all day. And yeah, I really could. <laughs> really could. Great. It's a pleasure. But I'll make a pact with you. I'm not doing it until we get took over. That'll be my next one then. <laughs> well, that's it. When we do get taken over and we do the live stream of the hashtag cans, then you will have yeah. to come on. But you you, you have, to be, have to be drinking. Oh, yeah. There'll be a few cans there. Don't worry about that. There'll be a few open. Brilliant. Well, Warren, I certainly hope for that day to arrive. And again, an absolute pleasure. If you haven't liked the video, please like this video and we'll get another episode out, another series out. It's just been brilliant, the Screaming and Mullen show. So again, my thanks to Sam for helping us out there this evening. But a big, big thanks to the former Newcastle defender, Warren Barton. And we'll see you all very, very soon. Pleasure. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you.